Hi, and welcome to the Jimboomba Baptist Church Sermon of the Week. We hope that you will be encouraged and challenged by this message. And he was watching as the race got ready. And out of the blue, this old Catholic priest walked forward to one of the horses, one of the ones that was the, uh, had little odds to win. And it looked like he was blessing the horse. Anyway, the horses line up. And out of the, what are they called? Out of the, what? Stalls? Stalls, yes. Out of the stalls, these horses bolted. And guess which horse won? This one that was not expected to win was blessed by this old Catholic priest. And this man took notice. And so the next race... He watched the same thing happen. They all lined up and this old Catholic priest blessed one of the least expected horses to win. And guess what? It won. And so the man, catching on pretty quickly, got all the cash he he had on him together and placed the bet, looked carefully to which horse the Catholic priest was blessing and put his money on that horse. And sure enough, the horse won. So he did this with one race. He did this with another race. On the third race, again, he looked to which horse the Catholic priest was blessing. And sure enough, this horse won again. And this guy was was multiplying his money. And so he thought, I have got to cash in on this. So he went and got out his life savings. He goes... And looks carefully at where this priest was blessing the horse. And he picked this horse and he blessed it. And this time it looked like he was blessing it for an extra long time. He blessed the horse's eyes, blessed the ears, blessed the mouth of this horse. And he's like, oh, this is a sure winner. And he goes and puts all his life savings on that horse. And out of the stalls, the horses race. And the horse that was blessed by the priest came dead last. And he lost all of his life savings. Anyway, he was a bit upset about this. And he walks down and goes to meet with this old Catholic priest. And he goes, what happened? Every other horse you blessed won. And the Catholic priest said, oh, son, son, you Protestants don't know the difference between a general blessing and the last rites. Terrible. Okay, you'll get. If you don't get it, talk to somebody. Uh, I don't know if I'm meant to talk about horse races and gambling. It's all Catholic priests in a Baptist church. But <laughs> good morning, good morning. We are. <laughs> Some of you are just getting it. Are you? Okay. <laughs> we are in a series. I'm going to wrap up today. Uh, little series called Blessing. It wasn't camp. A good uh, kind of climax of of that hey Um, blessing originates from god himself we've talked through a few things Um, just a reminder though what does it mean to bless can we just turn me down a little bit gordon thanks just echoing a bit here thank you blessing means to bestow god's grace upon or his favor Upon or his goodness or power upon someone or something. It's for success in a certain way and flourishing. 
And we've said this every single week, that God's intention is always to bless. God's intention is always to bless. And the reason for that is because it comes from the very heart of God. God's heart is to bless. He has a heart filled with blessing of goodness toward all of his creation. It's not that blessing always happens, but God's intention is always to bless. We see this summary in Numbers 6, and you know it because it's often proclaimed at the end of meetings or services. It says the Lord, and this was to Israel, the people of God, and the priests were to get up and proclaim this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Doesn't this reveal the heart of God towards not just his people, but all people? Because ultimately he wanted all people to become his people. This is the plan of God. So we've looked at the point that blessing is God's very heart. It's... But it's not just a positive disposition towards this planet and the people. Because for blessing to be real, it's not just about a smile shining down on us. For blessing to be real, blessing must have power. And then, so we saw that God's blessing always comes with God's power. There's substance. It's not just a nice platitude, a nice pleasantry that we say or that God says, God's real blessing comes with his real power. Uh, In other words, God's blessing has substance, doesn't it? God's blessing has real substance about it. It is powerful and effective. And we looked at the ministry of Jesus, that he was to declare the year of the Lord's favor, which God's favor is God's blessing, the year of the Lord's blessing. This harks back to the Old Testament year of Jubilee. But he went forward, setting the captive free, healing the blind. All that good stuff was in the name of bringing God's blessing to the world. God's blessing came with God's power. Pretty awesome, hey? And, And I think we learned that a bit more on the weekend too. That when we proclaim blessing, don't think of it as empty or just a nice intention toward somebody or something but god backs us up backs us up in that and places his power you know on just the mustard mustard seed of faith that of proclamation of blessing and we asked last time before camp well what is our role in blessing then what is our role in blessing and we looked at the fact that God designed humans to be a main vehicle of his blessing. Do you remember this? So, in other words, we're, we're, we are the tap. The world is the bathtub, and God is the endless reservoir of love and life. And he has primarily chosen us to be the tap that releases his goodness and life into this world. Isn't that what happened through Jesus? That the life of God came in and through Jesus 
and we as the church are meant to continue on the ministry of Jesus. I think it's hard to argue, if you read the New Testament carefully, that the church, Jesus' followers, are called to continue the ministry of Jesus, the blessing ministry, bringing God's blessing into this world. It's the whole story of the Bible, isn't it? Adam was blessed and was told to go and bless, and Abraham was blessed and was told to go and bless, and that was Israel's vocation. They were blessed and told to go and bless, and Jesus was obviously blessed, and he definitely brought blessing, and then the church is blessed, and we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. We're told to go and bless. That's the story of Scripture. It's from God through us to tap into this world, and we get blessed in the process. And then Jesus passed this on to the 12 and the 70 and the 120 at Pentecost, which became the 3,000, which became the thousands in the church to the millions in the church today, which is us. This is God's plan. This morning, I want to wrap up this little series by talking about a blessing blocker. You're glad you came to church, hey? <laughs> Sounds like a downer. A blessing blocker. Say to your na- neighbor, there are things that block blessings. Ready? Say to your neighbor, there are things that block blessings. I know it's hard. It's a mouthful, isn't it? Are you awake enough to say that? There are things that block blessings. Blessing blocker. This blessing blocker is central to the New Testament teaching. This particular blessing blocker is, um, this issue is central to the New Testament and following Jesus, foundational to the Christian life. Getting it wrong, this issue of this, this blocker, getting it wrong and it becomes a blocker to blessing. Getting it right and it opens up even more freedom for the believer. Not only will this thing, if we get it wrong, block blessing, But this issue, if not dealt with correctly, will actually hinder our relationship with God and our relationship with others. This issue will undermine your self-confidence and even social sciences and psychology and medicine have shown that this will even undermine your physical and mental health. It will destroy you and potentially contribute to destroying those around you. What are we talking about today? I talk about this at least once a year because it's so important. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a blessing blocker. And we'll look at some Bible texts in a few moments It's not the only blocker, but it's such an important one. I feel I need to address this. So what we're going to do this morning is look at the effects. Look at the effects of unforgiveness. And a lot of this you know. You know this. This is a reminder for a lot of us. We look at the effects of unforgiveness. And then we'll look at, well, what is forgiveness and how do we do forgiveness? And then I want to share with you one specific action point that has helped me over the last 20 years with this issue. I was taught it about 20 years ago, and I've never forgotten it because it's been so helpful in working through this issue of unforgiveness. So you ready to go? 
All right, one person is. That's enough for me. All right. Um, by the way, this one specific action point, I was taught this, this over 20 years ago. And since I've learned that Peter seemed to do it, Paul seemed to do it, and Jesus seemed to do it too. It's pretty important. We'll get to that toward the end. Okay? So first, the effects of unforgiveness. Then we'll look at what it is, how to do it, and then that one specific point. The effects of unforgiveness. It's not an overstatement to say that the effects are dramatic. Dramatic. Unforgiveness leads to anger, bitterness, blame, regret. Who are you not forgiving usually when you're expressing in regret? Yourself. That's part of it. Forgiving yourself as well as others. Uh, you're, you're not um, like you're, you're someone that needs forgiveness as well. Um, it can lead to judgment to attitudes. Uh, unforgiveness, you know this, leads to isolation, doesn't it? Leads to isolation, self-protection, distancing, avoiding being vulnerable. Who likes being vulnerable? None of you. Maybe Jeff, or you scratching your head. Uh, no one likes being vulnerable. But unforgiveness leads to so much less willingness to be vulnerable. Unforgiveness leads to suppression of maybe our own needs or expectations. Unforgiveness leads to festering wounds in our heart. Unforgiveness leads to trouble trusting God or others or a general suspicion of God or others. Do you live with a general suspicion that may be because of unforgiveness? And we know this, that Unforgiveness is linked to all kinds of health issues. Stress, mental health issues. I won't go through the data today. Uh, I have in previous um, times. But the medical community, the social sciences, psychology, have a clear, like, become, getting a clearer understanding that this affects people negatively. There's no denying that. The studies show it. So even before we get to the Bible, we see that this is damaging for people. And you know the statement maybe, hurt people, what? Hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people, don't they? That our pain leads to what? Passing on what? Pain. It does. Now, being more sensitive in life, has that ever helped anybody? <laughs> Unforgiveness leads to all these things. And the thing is, it leads to a framework, a worldview that informs and affects and infects everything, doesn't it? Like, that's the thing. When we don't forgive, something happens in us that then affects a lot of us, that, that then affects everything the way we see and therefore the way we do things. So yesterday, I leaned over to the sink and my back gave way and I was on the floor. I couldn't breathe deeply. I couldn't move. That kind of parallel. Who has had this happen to them? It is terrible. It is terrible. And I don't know what's happening to me. I'm only 23. I don't, you know, uh, it's uh, hard to understand, but you are paralyzed. Anyway, you do whatever you can to find movements that are okay. And for the most part, none are at the start. But throughout the day, you're kind of getting a bit more motion. But you know what happens? And you know what happens if this can continues if this continued for a week what would happen i would i would learn not to turn my head like this i would learn to turn my body like this 
and it would become normal to me. At first, it feels abnormal. Oh, I've got to do this. But after a while, that would be normal. After a while, it's, it would be normal that I just don't pick up my kids. After a while, it would be normal that, no, I can't bath my kids. <laughs> after a while, it's normal that I don't look in my blind spot. I just change lanes. <laughs> Some of you already do that. The thing is, after a while, the effect of that, and then I might be taking drugs to heal that uh, or to medicate that, and guess what that does to my stomach? And guess what that does to other parts of my body? And after a while, all of that seems normal to me. That's my normal way of, of living. That's my MO. That's my normal thing. And this is what happens with unforgiveness. We don't even realize but we've got this framework that we see the world through. We totally change how we think, how we act, and we don't even realize we're doing it. It affects everything. And biblically, we haven't even looked at the Bible yet. It gets no better. The Bible actually says, actually, it's even worse than you thought. Let's have a look at this passage in Ephesians. You know it. In your anger... Do not sin. When do you get angry? Lots of reasons for anger. Unforgiveness is one of them. Okay, there's probably a bunch, but unforgiveness is most certainly one of them. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not, what? Give the devil a place. Give the devil a foothold. Paul is saying, when we go to bed with our anger, which can definitely be a fruit of unforgiveness, we give the enemy a place. Who wants to give the enemy a place at the table? Who wants to give the enemy a place in our lives? Who wants to give the enemy any influence over us? And you're like, well, Scott, well, what's that mean? If, I, if I've got unforgiveness, what's that mean the enemy can do to me? We're not specifically told. But go and read the Gospels of the influence that the enemy has over people. It's not good. Is it? Like we can agree on that, isn't it? Enemy, bad. <laughs> enemy, bad. And the thing is, I could cope with the enemy being against me because I'm a child of God. We have the power of God and authority of God on our sides. But here's where it gets really scary. Paul continues on a few verses later. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up of others according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. Do those things come from forgiveness or unforgiveness? Along with every form of malice. Be kind, and here's a summary, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Look at, where, look at this phrase, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It is couched among attitudes that come from unforgiveness. And Paul summarizes the passage by saying, therefore you need to forgive. So not only does unforgiveness open up space to the enemy, unforgiveness pushes God away. That gets scary, doesn't it? And if you didn't believe me from that passage, look at this. This is 
the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer in which it says, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And then the, the prayer continues. And then in Matthew's version, it says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will for also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, this is heavy. This is one that we scratch out, we read over, because it doesn't fit our theology too well. If you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ouch. What's that mean? Now, let me just reassure you. Some people are like, oh, what does that mean that like, if I'm not forgiving, I'm suddenly not saved, suddenly not a Christian, and then I forgive, then I'm a Christian again. I'm like in the family of God, and then I'm out of the family of God, and as soon as I confess, I'm back in the family of God. You know, and some people have had that kind of theology, and it's a mixed up theology. Here's what I think it means, at least. Once you become a Christian, you're a part of the family of God. Your status is family. But you know what? If you're not acting appropriately within that family, it's not that you get booted out of that family, but your status of fellowship is affected. Your status of family is not affected with your father, but your status of fellowship with your father is affected. And I think that's what it's saying here, that your relationship with God is compromised if you don't forgive, if you hold on to unforgiveness. So this is terrible news, isn't it? This is terrible. If you, if you don't forgive, you're opening up place to the devil's influence in your life and pushing away the good influence of God's influence in your life. How important is it that we forgive? There's all kinds of implications to this, isn't there? But let's just look at the solution which is to forgive. Because you might be asking questions, well, how does that influence my life? If there's unforgiveness in my life, how, how, what can the enemy do? If there's unforgiveness in my life, how has God stepped back in my life? And we're not given a lot of those answers. But it's so important that we get that something in the spiritual realm dramatically happens if we hold on to unforgiveness. It's dramatic. And it's certainly a blocker for God's blessing in our life, isn't it? And those around us, because we affect those around us. So, how, what is forgiveness? What is the solution? And how do we do it? What is the solution? The solution is what R.T. Kendall has called total forgiveness. Total <coughs> forgiveness. Here's a definition. We need to be reminded of what forgiveness is and what it isn't, okay? Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness is not a feeling. So many people get messed up just on that one. It is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's a choice which includes a process because you've got to continually make this choice. The choice is a releasing of a debt to God, uh, letting people get off your hook. The hook of your heart has, has a hook in somebody and it's like letting them off the hook, putting them on God's hook. It's letting go of your right for retribution or punishment of that person. It's a releasing, a letting go, a freeing 
of that people, those persons that have hurt you, and giving them to God. That's a choice. It may not feel good. It may not, the feelings may not immediately follow of freedom. But it's our, it's leaving our right to justice and giving that to God because it's his role. You got it? It's releasing, giving it over. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. I don't even know how you do that. I mean, I'm pretty forgetful at times, but, you know, like I can't choose necessarily for to forget. It's usually things that I don't want to forget, like where did I put my key? You know, like what? But forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is also not reducing the, the offense or the hurt, or it's, and it's not condoning what happened. It's not saying, well, it wasn't that bad anyway, I guess. Or, well, that didn't hurt me that much. It's not about denying pain or hurt. It's not about acting as if it didn't happen either. That's just denying reality. And here's one that a lot of people mixed up. Forgiveness is not dependent on others at all. Some people are like, I just can't forgive that person because they've never admitted... No, no, no. Forgiveness, the technical forgiveness that we're talking about, is not about others. Reconciliation is about others. Reconciling the relationship. And sometimes when you read in the New Testament, when you read the word forgiveness, it's actually talking about, if you look at the context carefully, it's actually talking about forgiveness and reconciliation, about restoring the relationship. But what we're talking about today is just the forgiveness part. Now, reconciliation is impossible without forgiveness, isn't it? But forgiveness is absolutely possible without even looking at reconciliation. And sometimes reconciliation isn't even possible because the person's passed away or something. Or in some circumstances, reconciliation probably shouldn't happen, if, especially if it's an abuse kind of situation. Uh, there, there won't be a mending of the relationship, and that's okay. But it shouldn't be used as a tool to hurt the other person. That just means forgiveness truly hasn't happened. You get it? You following me? So forgiveness is not dependent on the other person at all. What's the proof of forgiveness? A proof is that eventually you will have an inner peace. Proof is that you will feel no need to bring up that story again. Proof is that you won't be constantly thinking about that thing that hurts you or that person. Proof is that you can even want the best for that person. That's a hard one. That would be a proof that you're doing the forgiveness thing right. Proof would be that a similar issue doesn't trigger you. Have you ever met someone and you've been in that situation and you're like, whoa, all I said was that and someone blows up. It's like, well, that was a trigger. Something else has happened in that person's life. And that hasn't been dealt with. So if something still triggers us, that's a sign that we haven't truly forgiven. The way to forgive. The way to forgive. See, to total forgiveness is about a forgiving lifestyle. Martin Luther Jr. King said this. He said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a constant attitude. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? It's a constant attitude. I mean, some of us are like, 
We're just going to wait for that moment that we really have to forgive someone. But all these little offences are happening every day that we do nothing about. We won't be prepared to forgive the big stuff if we can't even forgive the small stuff. And, and, and they're saying it's a daily lifestyle. It's a constant attitude to, to be forgiving people. And then when the bigger stuff comes, we're more equipped to forgive, to make that hard choice, to give it to God, to forgive. And of course, all this only happens with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To, to be able to make that choice constantly, to give it to God. See, forgiveness is about allowing God's love to heal you from your hurt. It's about opening yourself up to allow God to come in and heal that hurt that has taken place. Not forgiving is like protecting a dirty, festering wound from being cleaned and dressed. It's like, keep away, keep away. No, no, I don't, don't put that, you know, salt water near me. Like, hold that back. And it, all it does is allow that wound to fester and get worse and worse. And God is saying, if you don't give this to him and totally forgive, you're holding him back from being that gracious healing presence in your heart and for your wounds. This is powerful. I mean, this helps some people if we stop looking at others' crimes and noticing that we're guilty of the same kinds of things, the same attitudes in our heart. The Bible talks about treating others how we want to be treated or dishing or, or that we will receive the mercy that we dish out or that we will be judged with the kind of judgment that we judge. And we've got to realize, whoa, if I'm, if I'm not being merciful, if I'm being judgmental, the Bible is saying at least in some way that's how I'll be treated. And, and you saw after the Lord's Prayer, like if I don't forgive others, God won't forgive me. We've got to keep these things fresh in our minds. We've got to separate the person from the sin, the person from the pain. We, uh, one lecturer, my principal, told me that in ministry, he's found it more helpful to look at people not so much as evil, but as broken. Isn't that a compassionate way to view people? Like, yeah, we're sinful, we're evil, but we're broken. And to realize that, well, I'm broken too. And how do I want to be treated? Do I want to be treated like I'm just evil? No. Like, does that actually help? <laughs> does it help when we push back on people so hard? Or does that create further walls, further division? Total forgiveness is what's required. Look at Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other. Why do you have to bear with each other, by the way? Because sometimes each other are painful. <laughs> bear with each other and forgive one another. If, you have, if any of you have a grievance, grievance against someone, 
And this is a kicker. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Whose sin put Jesus on the cross? Whose sin put Jesus on the cross? Like to, to get that deep in us that actually it was, it was my sin. It was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. And Jesus says, hey, forgive as I forgave you. You forgave me for putting you on the cross, Jesus. Like that's how deep your love is for us. A community of the forgiven must be a forgiving community. We must live in constant awareness of our need of God's forgiveness. And we must affirm the value of every person, no matter what they have done. So what is one specific take-home point that we can apply that will help us forgive others and help our hearts be open to the healing of God from the wounds that we receive maybe on a daily basis? What is that thing that I learned 20 years ago that has helped me in this process? And I think it's been good for my heart over these years to know and to apply. Let's look at a few passages and I'll tell you what it was for me that I got taught. Paul says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Has anyone been persecuted? Let me exchange the word. Bless those who hurt you. Bless those who bring pain to you. Paul. Paul was beaten, stoned, flogged. Like this is real for him. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Uh, Paul also said this. This was about him and his apostleship. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. We bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. Again, Paul was actually persecuted. I bet none of us here could really qualify for being persecuted, not in the way that Paul got persecuted. He would have scars on his back from the whiplashes that he received and bruises and maybe broken and chipped bones in his body from the stonings that he had received. And he says, this is how we deal. We bless. We bless. Jesus said, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Bless those who hurt you. Pray for those who hurt you. Do this. Peter, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. That's your natural inclination. On the contrary, this is the man who walked with Jesus three years and then taught others to be Christ-like even though at one point he cut off a dude's ear. <laughs> On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. When you respond in this way, 
you open yourself up to inherit blessing. What I was taught 20 years ago was when that person comes to your mind, when you feel hurt, when you just repeat that conversation or that thing that happened that many, you know, and, and you're having that conversation in the car by yourself or it's in your head, bless them. You stop yourself and, God, I bless them. You tell me to bless them. I don't feel like blessing them, but I bless them. I forgive them. God, I bless them. And every time they come to the head, because they keep coming, because they're living rent-free, aren't they? And they keep coming. You, Lord, bless them. Bless, I forgive them. Bless them. And, and you know what? At first, it just feels like you're just making the choice. There's no, no healthy or good emotion behind it. But after a, a while of choosing, and every time that person, and you know what will happen? You'll stop thinking about them so much because you don't even want to bless them. <laughs> and, and it stops the ruminating. It stops the wound getting deeper. Because every time you think about it, what's happening to that open gash? It's just getting more festy. It's just getting dirtier every time. But if you're like, no, Lord, bless them. Bless them. Lord, I give them to you. Forgive them, Lord. Every time it comes into your mind, bless them, Lord. Bless them. It changes your heart. It molds your heart into a Christ-like attitude rather than an anti-Christ attitude. It does good for you. It opens you up to the blessing of God. It opens you up to the healing of God in your life. Every time it comes to mind, and these guys are saying not just, you know, not just praying, but bless them, bless them. Actually, if you see them, you know, go out of your way to serve them. Go out of your way to do something that is a blessing toward them because it does something in your heart that will bring healing, deep healing from the pain that you've experienced. This is the way of Jesus. allows the healing process to begin. And you might be thinking, but Scott, you don't know what has been done to me. You don't know the gravity of the situation. You don't know the incredible pain that's been caused. No, I don't. But Jesus does. God does, and he's the one that still tells us to do this. It's the best thing for us. And I don't think any of us would argue that what we've been put through was worse than what Jesus went through. And we put him on the cross. We nailed his hands to the cross. We put a crown of thorns on his head and we hurled insults at the Son of God. We thrust a spear into his side and spat on him. And he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. Father, forgive them. He did it instantly. He started the process of forgiveness, releasing them, releasing us to God straight away. Father, forgive. And so he can rightfully tell us, this is what we're called to do. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. As Jesus actively forgave, even 
while pain was still being inflicted on him. His Christ-like heart instantly looked to bless them. Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them, Father. Forgive them. And where to follow our Savior. That's a choice. That's not an emotional response, is it? That's a choice. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. Let's close your eyes, please. Holy Spirit, would you show us who we need to forgive right now? If there's anyone we need to forgive. Holy Spirit, would you bring them to mind? For some of us, we don't need to think too hard because that pain is still happening, that repeating of that story in our mind. And we make the choice, Father, forgive them. We forgive them. We give them to you. We release them. In Jesus' name. And if you even can, Father, bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Holy Spirit, I pray over everyone this morning that you would bring your healing balm to people's hearts as they open, as we open our hearts to you to receive your forgiveness and your love into our hearts that would enable us to say, Father, forgive them and even bless them, Lord. Bless them. Father, I pray you'd send your angels, your Holy Spirit to bring great healing to many wounds this morning to clean out those wounds and to see healing truly begin to happen. Thank you. Thank you. And I pray your blessing on everyone here and everyone that came to mind. We bless them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like more info, please see our website at jbc.org.au. May you know Jesus' presence with you. Have a great day and God bless.